Please take your Bibles and turn to Malachi. Um, we have finished our study of the parables in Matthew from the summer, and so we're going to be starting a series in the book of Malachi. And so uh, it's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you can find Matthew, find Matthew and just turn back a book. Okay, so as you're turning there, uh, again, let me give you this. I told you that we did a stay vacation, and a lot of times that's, that's not a good thing because uh, things get um, a, li- a, lot of, a lot of times out of hand, right? Because things have to happen around the house. And so we had to paint things and uh, move some uh, rooms around and different things. So what was happening is, you know, I had to do some yard work, and God gave uh, some nice weather. And that was nice. That was good. Um, and I had to clean out the garage. Nice weather. Well, I had scheduled to go deep sea fishing, and it was going to be my first fun activity. Woohoo! So James and I were going to go deep sea fishing. That's when you say you who. Woo! There you go. So we were going to go deep sea fishing. Cancel. Weather's not good. So it's like, uh, all right. So had to postpone it. They called. They said, look, just change it to another day. And uh, so I'm talking to Jameson, and we had some other things that we had to go. And I said, okay, so when are we going to go? Let's go on Labor Day. Uh, Okay, let's go on Labor Day. So we call back, and are you guys going to go? I know Larry's off the coast. Is it going to bring in two high waves? Nope. We're going out. Okay. So we're going to go on Labor Day. So Jameson and I up the crack of dawn. We have our Dramamine in us and we go, we get there and uh, we get onto the boat and the guy says, oh, it's going to be a full boat today. And I was like, oh boy. So and you know that your pastor is really social in those kind of settings. So I was just like, okay, Jameson, we're going to the front of the boat. And I want the last rod placement because I don't want to talk to anybody um, during this time. And so we did. We got our last uh, rod placements. And so it was me and then Jameson right next to me and then everybody else. And this was, of all the times that I've been out deep sea fishing in the state of Florida, this was the calmest I have ever seen. It was more waves in the intercoastal than it was out on the ocean. And it was so clear. I've never seen this before, but we were about 70 feet deep and we could see the bottom. Literally, we could see the bottom of the ocean. And so, and there was the time. And even the people that were on the boat, the captain and the mates and stuff like that, were seeing these bait pods of these blue runners that were out there that were being chased by um, barracuda that was, and so you're seeing splashes everywhere. And these fish are eating everything. And all of a sudden, we're starting to see one guy even got a blue runner. And as he's reeling in it, a barracuda eats the fish as he's reeling it into the boat. And not only that the barracuda then tries to get eaten by a sand shark I mean a good sized sand shark and I'm like we're gonna catch some fish today baby and you can see them everywhere and so we stop at our place and they anchor up and Jameson and I lay down our lines and not a bite and the people behind me don't even know how to fish. I mean, he's got gloves on and he's bought the right material, but he's starting to wash his hands off with his gloves in the water when they're bringing up the anchor. He doesn't even know how to put the bait on. When he got his first fish on, he's like, help me, help me, help me. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing? We know how to, we've got stinky fish on us and, and nasty whatever bait we're putting on. I mean, we're real fishermen. We need to catch some big fish. People down the row, you can hear them. 
Zip, fish on, fish on, fish on, fish on. This stinks. What are you doing? I, and I got to the place, God, please, one fish. Please, one fish. And God, if we catch the shark, man, that would make our day. And, and I got to the point of saying, God, this is not a big deal for you. You can do this. I mean, literally, 10 feet away from me, it's like in, in the experience of the Bible where Jesus said, throw your net on the other side. And the fisherman said, that's stupid. And then they start to bring up the net and it starts to sink the boat. I mean, literally 10 feet from Jameson and I, this guy who doesn't know how to fish is bringing in fish after fish after fish. And I said a question, God, do you love me? This is such a simple thing. Why don't you do this for me? I did. I caught one little red fish at the end of the day. I didn't even get it on the boat, but I counted it because I could see it out of the water. Jameson got nothing. But I started to question, God, do you really love me? I asked a simple thing and you said no. That just doesn't seem right. This is where the people are in regards to the book of Malachi. So let's go. We're looking at verses 1 through 5 this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. But your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, maybe we're not honest to say, but probably all of us at some point in some situation in our lives have asked the question, Do you really love us? Do you really care? And so, Father, may we hear... May we see, may we comprehend just how deep the Father's love is for us. Especially for us, his chosen children who call you daddy. Father, you teach us in what is in some ways a hard passage. But you teach us and change us. And we'll leave that all up to you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing that God says is God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, 
We need to understand what has happened up until this point in regards to the context, because there is a judgment that's really deserved for the people of God. Because again, God back in the beginning had a covenant relationship. And so there was a covenant infidelity. So God said to the people, especially back in the beginning, fill the whole earth with God lovers. That's what we were to do. We were supposed to go out and to fill the whole earth. And we were supposed to show how much God loved us and then go out and show everybody how much we are loved by God. But what happened is we began to settle for secondary things. We started going after idols. And so what God did is he brought in a a time where we were in exile. The people of God were in exile. And so uh, it was split. The country split. And then there was exile. And at this point, this part of of Israel, okay, not Judah, but Israel has been coming back from the Babylonian captivity. And so they've come back. And so this book is written about 50 to 80 years after the people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And so the people have gone back to Jerusalem, they've built, rebuilt the walls, and they have rebuilt a smaller temple, in essence. So they've gone back, but there's still, it's not right. See, they're still insignificant. See, gone are the glory days of Israel. Gone are the glory days of the promised land. They're still a, a vassal state. They're still underneath rule. The temple's not what it's supposed to be. Life is not how they think it should be. And so they begin to find themselves in the midst of apathy. They just don't care. They're kind of going through the motions. Sound familiar sometimes? We get to the point where, again, we're called stiff-necked people. And so the prophet Malachi is called in the word here where you see the oracle of the Lord, you should really mark out oracle. And yes, your pastor saying, mark out your Bibles. Okay. And put the word burden. Cause that, that kind of matches up to the Hebrew. It's the burden of Malachi to come and to talk to the people of God. He's bringing them the word of the Lord to them. Now, again, God probably could have and should have scolded them. You apathetic people. I've done nothing but deliver you. I've been nothing but giving good things to you. I've brought you to this land. You're the ones who rebelled. I allowed you to come out of captivity. I brought you back to the promised land. You guys are apathetic. You guys don't care. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. But that's not how God speaks to them. The first thing God says is, I have loved you. I've loved you. Now, we need to understand what it means when God says that. One, it's God that is the one who initiates love. He's given them a reminder. It's a word of affirmation and commitment. See, they need to grasp the truth that God is love and he does love them. They need to remember that because they are the chosen ones. Now, if you were to to go back to Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 9, you would see these words. For you are people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you 
and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. See, God has chosen you. And with that choosing, it's not anything that you've done. He has chosen to love you because he chooses to love you because he chooses to love you. And it's his gift. And it's not only just a, a, a love that he initiates, but it's a love that's perfect. If you go back to the, to the Hebrew, it's called the perfect tense. Okay, so I'm, I'm not an English major. I do not like English. I could never diagram my sentences correctly. I don't speak well. Okay, and that's even in the, I would say, I don't speak right. Okay, so even in the last few years, I've, I've made the change. I don't speak well. But I, I don't understand it. But it's written in such a way that it is perfect. And that means it's done, and yet it's ongoing. And so God's love is perfect. It's not like us. We're not, he doesn't wait around for warm feelings or, or emotional kind of aspects. His love is a perfect love and it's unchanging. And because it's perfect, he becomes determined, which means that God says, because I love you, I will never let you go. A pastor um, that I knew said this about his kids. He brought in all of his kids and he said, would you think that mom and dad would love you if you go to college and graduate? Yes. Do you think that mom and dad would love you if you raise some kids and uh, do some good things? Yes, of course you'll love. Will mom and dad even love you if you're in a small house or a small community? Yes. Will Will we love you if you're missionaries? Yes. Would I love you if you killed someone? And they said, no. He said, no, I, I do still love you and would still love you. Now, I might be with the arresting officers and you might have to go to jail. But I would be the first one there every day to let you know how much I care and love you. He says, someone who understands that kind of love feels cherished and doesn't doubt the love that's given. That's the love that God has given to us. It's a determined love. And he begins this passage by saying, I have loved you. Now the response of the people is probably more of where we are. How have you loved us? (laughs) You say you love us. I don't get it. So what happens is is they begin to uh, dispute the proclamation. They they doubt the statement. And they even probably have um, a way of where they're probably clenched fist and teeth. Prove it. God, you say you love me. Prove it to me. Because life is not how I want it to be. This is not what I prayed for. This is not what I asked for. We're still in captivity. We don't have the Messiah. The temple is not what it's supposed to be. God, how have you loved us? And I think maybe even for some of them, there was a a hatred maybe even. They began to despise God. Maybe even even at the, the, the hearing of his name. Have you ever done that to somebody who just when you hear their name, you're just like, oh boy. 
I know for some of you, that's Pastor Jeff. Nah, can't stand them. This is what they're doing to God. They despise him and they begin to cry out and say, prove it to us that you love us. I want you to think um, back to Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, either one. But there's the scene, remember, where Veruca Salt, remember her father was, owned a peanut company or whatever. She gets the ticket. She goes, and one of them, she gets the gold, wants the golden goose, and the second one, she wants the squirrel. I want the squirrel, daddy. Now, Remember, if you look at those scenes, there's the scenes where, again, she starts to go through a list of everything that she's been given by her father. But she says, but you didn't give me this and I want it now. And I think that's what we do with God a lot of times. God, yes, you've done some really neat things, but you haven't done this and I want it now. And so what happens is we start to have a pervasive corruption. And when there's a pervasive corruption in our hearts and our minds, then we begin to distrust God. And we begin to distrust him in regards to his expressions of love. We start asking questions of what have you done for me lately? See, we, we begin to forget his goodness. Now, I told you the story about what happened um, when our, my trip got canceled the first time. Well, but you know what happened? The battery in my wife's van uh, went dead. So either Jameson and I could have taken the, the van and had it die while we were there, out there fishing. So we could have come back from a day of catching nothing to a van that was dead. Or Christina could have been out by herself and not being able to contact anybody because we're out on the ocean. What if she was stuck somewhere? But how forgetful I am. Yeah, God, you, yeah, that's great that I got the... New battery. It was a little expensive though, God. I'm not going to lie. But why didn't you allow me to catch a fish today? See, we, we get to this perspective where, again, our relationship starts to become exciting. And I think even if we're honest, even the cross becomes insignificant. Yeah, so Jesus died. So what? What now? Yeah, I'm glad I'm going to heaven, but what have you done for me lately? See, we get put into perspective where, again, we start to distrust his expressions and we begin to reject his discipline even. And I want you to understand that this is, this is something very significant, especially in this passage. Um, because we believe a lot of times discipline is something that's unloving. True example. So um, I did a, a wedding for a couple that was from Texas and had no connections. Um, but they wanted it on the beach and they wanted a Presbyterian pastor to do it. Okay. So I'm down on the beach. So we're, we're getting ready to do our um, walk through the day before. And I'm the moment that I start going through this practice, the little baby turtles start coming out of the nest. Hundreds of little turtles. Oh boy. And we're standing right on top of them. So we're having to move out of the way and they've got, I'm just there now. 
superfluous off to the side. So they're sitting there with cameras and they're taking pictures or taking their little laptops down to the ground, not knowing that the sand that's blowing in the laptops maybe might ruin it. But who cares? We're getting good pictures of little turtles. It was so long that I actually took the picture of the turtles and let my wife know I wasn't lying about how long I was there. But people from all over the beach were coming to to look at these sea turtles. But then some people started to pick up the turtles and take them to the ocean because it's bad for crabs to get it. And there's a big hill of sand and there was seaweed. And Oh, man, that's really bad for the turtles to climb over that seaweed. We need to make things easy for them. I was like, put them down. Because if they do not learn to strengthen themselves now getting to the ocean, then they will never make it in the ocean. It's not a bad thing. Really? It's okay. Let them struggle. See, God kind of does that with us. He allows us to go through the struggle. Why? Because he loves us. Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 5 through 8. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We get that, don't we? Who did your parents discipline? You. They didn't discipline your friends. Now your friends might have been the cause for you to make some questionable choices. But my father didn't spank my friend Gene. Jeffrey, go to your room. Think about what you're doing. I've thought about what I'm doing. Why are you taking your belt off? Well, I'm going to give you a reminder. Well, Gene was the one who thought of it. I'm not Gene's father. So I want you to understand this because God's going to make this change where he's saying, hey, I am for Jacob, but I'm against Esau. And we look at that and kind of go, that's not fair. But God disciplines those he loves. So God says, I have loved you. We cry back to him. How have you loved us? Well, he, God doesn't just sit there and smush us. And again, this is, you're, it's a good thing I'm not God because I'm telling you, three quarters of you wouldn't be here. Because as soon as you talk back to me, boom, you're done. Next. God loves them so intimately that he answers them. And he takes them back to Jacob and Esau because he wants them to remember. Now, again, in regards to history, there's many displays of God's love. So why did God choose Jacob and Esau? Why this story? Now, again, we've studied this story, so we understand that there's a focus on covenantal love and covenantal hate. And again, this is hard for us to hear, especially in America, that God hates someone. But I want to take you through this because, listen, they're twins, remember? And they were fighting in their mother's womb. How would you like that, mom? The baby's fighting in your womb. 
And so the first one comes out and he's red and hairy. The second one comes out grabbing the ankle of the first one and they're going at it all their lifetime. They are cheats. They steal. They're nasty. It's mean. It's like being in the Wilson family. No, I'm just kidding. But there's bickering and arguing and all this stuff all the time. And you have to get to the point where, listen, neither one of them deserved grace. Neither. So why does God take us to this portion of Scripture and says that Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? And then he extends it out to the offspring. He says, out of um, Jacob, you get the nation of Israel. Out of Esau, you get the nation of Edom. And so you get this distinction. And listen, this is where it even comes uh, in regards to how bad it gets. Um, Psalm 137. I think I had this up here. No, I don't. Okay, so you're just going to have to listen to me. Psalm 137, verse 7. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. So you have the Edomites going in while Jerusalem's being destroyed, and they're, they're fans. Yes, kill the cousins. Wipe them out. We hate them and everything about them. That's who God says, those are the people I hate because they have nothing to do with me. Now, I also want you to understand this. Jacob's not a good person. (laughs) Not even in the slightest. He, He probably, if you were to look at Esau and Jacob, according to the world, Jacob's probably worse. He's conniving. He steals. He abuses his brother. He tries to steal what God, listen, is willing to give to him freely. You ever try to do things for God? God, I I want this, and I want this right now. Jeff, why don't you wait, and I'll give this to you. And I want to wait. Jeff, you really should wait. Not going to. Okay, accept the consequences. But listen, even in the midst of that, listen, God brings the promises to Jacob when he is the most lonely and the most vulnerable, and he meets him face to face. And it's at that point that we need to begin and grasp this hate and love. See, God, when he deals with love and hate, he's not, it's, it's a judicial thing. It's not capricious. He's not going around and just saying, oh, I don't like this person. Dink, dink, you're gone, you're gone. God understands, and what he does is he puts us, and, he, and again, He gives us over to the desires of our hearts. And what are the desires of our heart? It's evil all the time. My daughter turned 25, so we went out to dinner. And across from us was this foreign family. And they started to make fun of our family. And so I said, God, please let me go over there and witness to them. Please let me just show them the love of Christ. 
No. I was like, God, I really want to go over to that kid, to that son who's laughing, and throw his head into the table and knock him out. And said, welcome to America. Oh, by the way, I'm a pastor. Come to church on Sunday. We at the core are evil. Even if you are a Christian, you still battle like I, but I know I'm not the most evil person in here. I'm not the only one who has those kind of thoughts. But God is the one who comes and he says they had a lacked un understanding. They didn't understand at all Esau and Edom. They always thought that what they had was given by their own actions. No thought of God. And when God gives us over to our own desires, we begin to find ourselves put into places of exile. So again, it it makes sense, right? The people of God is looking and saying, hey, Edom they're evil. And look, God, they have everything. They're up in their hill country and they're not in exile. So you say you love us, but look, you're taking care of them. And God says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm taking you through exile to teach you what it means to be children of the Lord, to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and strength. I don't leave you or forsake you. Edom is going to get its judgment. And so what happens is we begin to to question the things around us. Listen to what we need to to listen. This is a, a passage from a pastor, and he says, Why is life hard? We don't always know why, but we know we do know that God has not remained aloof from it all. And he begins to talk about how Jesus is life, but he says, unlike ours, Jesus' circumstances never led him to doubt his heavenly father's love. We are chosen in Christ to become a new people so that even though we still suffer the consequences of our sin in this life and we endure the brunt of other sins against us, we may look forward to ultimate restoration, sharing in Jesus' righteousness and his resurrection from dead to everlasting life. See, Christ never looked at God's punishment or judgment as something capricious. It was something that reserved for people who wanted to do their own thing. And God finally says, you want to do your own thing? Do your own thing. And then we complain about the consequences. But God said that Edom would be desolated. And God is the one who conquers the people. You don't see the nation of Edom. You don't see it. You can go to Israel. You can't go to Edom. They're wiped out. So God judges. He hates those who go after their own desires. But to Jacob, he says, I love you. Now, I want you to write it down. I didn't put it over on the screen. Sorry, but listen to this statement. Malachi is teaching us to interpret God's providence in the light of his love. Interpret God's providence, your suffering, anything that you're going through in the light of his love, rather than reading his love off of our interpretation of his providence. 
Here's what that means. I need to look and go, God didn't give me a fish because God loved me and wanted that other family who maybe needed to have something that I didn't have. And so God didn't give me a fish. God still loves me. As compared to saying, I didn't get a fish today. So God, do you love me? So we have to have our processes turned around so that we live the way we're supposed to. Romans 5, 8 says this. Uh, that's where, okay. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is part of my favorite passages in all scripture. This is what I go to. These are my favorite verses because this is me. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up loved by a Christian family. So even with non-Christians, I wasn't a good person. But there were still people why I was still a sinner that God sent into my life to tell me the gospel message. While I was still a sinner, God died for me. He loves me. And he loves you. Because for the Christian, the ultimate judgment doesn't land upon me. It lands upon Jesus. Because he's the one who gave his perfect sacrifice. And what that means is I need to quit doubting. I need to quit being the stubborn, self-reliant, or trying to do good things so that God might love me more. I need to quit being indifferent to God. I need to trust him and to trust in his love. But now if you're a smart person, if you're a thinker person, you might ask the question, but what if I'm an Esau? There's hope in verse five. Look at it, it says, your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. See, we don't know who's saved. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because we're evil and we're judgmental. And I would look at some of you and go, eh, you're not worth it. So I'm not going to tell you about Jesus because you're a little cranky. You're a little mean. You wore gloves on a fishing boat. You don't deserve Jesus. See, we need to get out of the place of God and allow God to be God because God is the only one who loves us perfectly and righteously. And he is the one who changes hearts. He's the good God. He's the loving God. And it's to him we run. And so the burden, when I pray those three people, those 20 people, 100 people, I believe that. I believe that because if God has laid them apart, a part of my heart, then it has to be a part of God's heart. And I don't know how God's going to change some of these people, but he's called me to be faithful, to preach the gospel and to you to be faithful, to preach the gospel, then get out of the way and let Jesus be the one to change them. Because when Jesus ministers to them, they're ministered truly. 
thank God that we get to be a part of his church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we question your love for us and may we truly change our perspective from one of looking at your love through the providence that you bring us through to that of the love being the thing that adjusts our providence and our understanding of it. Father, teach us, change us, but Lord, draw us closer to yourself so that we might truly understand that at the very moment, at the very part where we're lonely and understand, uh, in a place of, of not even knowing where to turn or to go to, we can go to you. And you're there. And it doesn't matter how bad our lives are. It doesn't matter the sins that we've fallen into. You tell us the truth. I've loved you. And I've loved you with an everlasting love. So, Father, for those of us who need to hear it, for those of us who need to be reminded, maybe, Lord, there are those who've heard it for the first time. May we run to you, the loving Savior, who loves us by sending your son to live a perfect life, to become a perfect sacrifice, to give us a perfect righteousness so that we might be called the sons and daughters of the king. Lord, may it be said of us, for this we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.